Hello and welcome to this Linklaters podcast on payments regulation. It's great to be back after our summer break and I'm delighted to be joined once again by our regular payments regulation experts, Harry Edis, Gene Bryce and Paul Harris. Later on, we'll bring you up to speed on an important development on the UK money laundering rules. But first, we're going to talk about what lessons we can take from the SEA's recent clampdown on Binance. Harry. Um, thanks very much, Simon. Um, so Binance is a crypto asset exchange um, and has found itself at the centre of one of the stories of the summer in the financial press. It's an interesting group, Binance. It's one of the largest uh, crypto exchanges um, in the world. Um, but it's not entirely clear where it's based. In fact, it makes quite a song and dance about the fact that it doesn't have a corporate uh, location. Um, but we do know that last year it took over an FCA regulated entity and renamed it Binance Markets Limited. That UK entity has limited permissions to carry on some regulated activities, such as dealing in shares and certain other financial instruments. Or I should say, had those permissions, because the FCA has restricted what it is allowed to do. And that is what got um, the press very excited. So now the UK Binance entity cannot perform regulated activities, at least not without getting the FCA's consent at some point in the future. And do we know why the FCA took this action against Binance? Um, we do, because the FCA has published a supervisory notice on it, explaining why they've restricted Binance's license. And essentially, there are two main reasons. The first is that Binance Markets Limited wasn't using its permissions. It had a license to provide some regulated activities, but hadn't actually used that license in the last year. And that gives the FCA the right to um, withdraw um, those license approvals. The second reason is that the FCA didn't think that it could supervise Binance effectively. Apparently, they had asked the UK entity questions about the wider global group, the, the governance model, the ownership structure, its business model and products, and felt that it, it did not get satisfactory responses. The FCA considered that to be a breach of its threshold conditions to be open and cooperative with um, the FCA, um, and so it concluded that the firm isn't capable of being supervised and therefore imposed restrictions on its license. That's right, Harry, and it's also worth noting that the UK Binance entity had applied to be registered with the FCA under the money laundering regulations. Now, these are relatively new requirements and crypto asset exchanges and wallet custodians now need to register with the FCA for anti-money laundering purposes. Anyway, during the course of the application process, the FCA spotted that Binance was offering derivatives to UK retail customers for which the underlying asset was a crypto asset itself. Now, the FCA has already banned this type of crypto derivative from being sold or marketed in the UK. So that this then triggered even more questions from the FCA, which most likely led to the action that Harry's just been talking about. And this, again, is probably why, when they announced their action against Binance, that the FCA kind of took the opportunity, at least it seemed to us anyway, to issue a more general warning, telling people to beware of crypto asset promotions, promising high returns, noting that most firms advertising and selling crypto assets are not even going to be FCA authorized in the first place. So that sums up the FCA Binance saga so far. Jean, what is it that payments firms can learn from this episode? Um, so I think there's actually a couple of lessons that firms can draw from this. Um, and one of this, and this is something we've been banging on in the industry long before payments became regulated, in fact. Um, and that's if you're authorised to do something, you actually need to do it. We know that the FCA doesn't like people um, 
not using permissions. If you've got permissions, it expects you to use them. So for Binance, buying an entity with regulatory permissions, but then not using them or even having a plan to use them, um, that wasn't good enough from the FCA's perspective. And we are seeing the FCA being more proactive about this. They did a use it or lose it exercise at the start of year. And they're, they're trying to speed up their decision-making processes so that they can act quicker on this if they, they need to. Um, there seems to be a bit of a market from what I've seen in people buying authorised firms, uh, payments firms rather, where they've never actually transacted any business. And I think we can expect to see, and I've advised clients on this, that if you try and apply for change of control on one of those, you may find yourself rather at the end of um, a, a variation of permissions or in fact of the authorisation. Um, the second one is a reminder that the FCA is interested in the activities of other members of the firm's groups, even where those activities are carrying on outside the UK and or indeed completely outside the, the regulatory perimeter. The F FCA expects constructive engagement from UK market participants, and that includes full disclosure about offshore businesses by affiliates. Um, when it comes to crypto, I think there's a very delicate balancing act here. On the one hand, the FCA wants to make sure that the UK crypto sector is regulated in a way that it meets consumer protection objectives. On the other hand, it wants to minimise the risk of crypto businesses avoiding the UK altogether and choosing to offer their riskiest products solely on an offshore basis. Uh, that's right, Jean. Um, I think I'd also add to that to say that the Binance experience shows that the FCA will use leverage wherever it can. You know, in this case, there was a UK regulated entity that the FCA could take action against, but actually that entity wasn't even really doing anything. But really, you know, reading between the lines, the FCA, it looks like anyway, the FCA was targeting the business of the wider group. And I think we can take some lessons from that. And this is important for payments firms to bear in mind because we know that the FCA has changed its approach to legal risk and its CEO has even spoken about being more interventionist. So I think this can illustrate how the FCA is testing the limits of its powers and exerting its influence where it can, including outside the regulatory perimeter potentially. So that's an interesting point. What, what can the FCA do to take action, for example, against crypto asset businesses that are operating outside the UK? It's very difficult as a short answer, uh, Simon. The most effective way for the FCA is to find some kind of UK connection and then take action on that, which is exactly what they've done with Binance. And that connection could come through, for example, the money laundering regulations or just informal pressure on, um, on regulated institutions. But they don't have jurisdiction over the whole of the group's operations. So they identify the point where they do have some leverage, as Paul says, and put pressure on the business there. And I hope that we'll get the behavior they want to see from the parts of the business where they don't have that jurisdiction. It's interesting to see how the EU are proposing to tackle this because in the crypto world they have proposed a new regulation called Mika and that effectively um, it's rather like MIFID but for crypto where it effectively will regulate anyone wanting to provide services in the EU to EU investors in relation to crypto and will effectively regulate um, anyone who comes across um, a, a crypto uh, business um, when providing customs to the EU. So it will give them much more leverage uh, to tackle these sorts of institutions in the future. Paul, you mentioned before that there are some crypto businesses that need to register with the FCA for AML purposes. 
And I think there's a change to the AML rules coming their way, which is going to impact them. Yep, that, that's exactly right, Simon. So the government has actually suggested requiring those crypto businesses um, now to apply what's called the, the travel rule. And essentially what this really is, is just gathering sufficient information regarding a transaction. That means it collects information about a payer and payee so that uh, actually there is full disclosure as to the parties in an overall payment transaction. Under the uh, Treasury's plans, UK crypto asset exchange providers and custodian wallet providers would need to start collecting this personal information about the parties involved in crypto asset transactions. And this idea is still under consultation, however, um, until the 14th of October. Although, to be honest, I don't really expect that it will change much, given that the rule comes from international AML standards under the Financial Action Task Force. And the Treasury has previously said that it will introduce these rules. So I suppose the main thing to look out for is how long firms will be given before they need to start applying the so-called travel rule, because crypto businesses subject to the MLRs will need some time to invest in the right compliance technology in order to collect the right information. And as I mentioned at the start, that same consultation from the Treasury also proposes some important AML changes which are going to be relevant to payments firms. Yeah, that's right. The consultation also suggests excluding a couple of types of payment institution from AML requirements. So firstly, account information service providers, ASPs, they bring together customer account information in one place. Now, because it's only an information service, these can't interfere in payments in any way. It's a bit odd that they should be in scope of money laundering regulations in the first place. Because as I say, they're not in the payments change. They can't initiate payments. All they can do is pull information through to a sort of central place so you can look at it. So the Treasury has now seen sense on this and agreed um, that they're not in the payments chain and therefore there's limited um, risk of them being involved in AML and CTF. And it's, it's proposing to um, take them out of scope. Um, they're also thinking of doing the same for payment initiation service providers or PISPs. Now, PISPs are involved in payment chains. As the name suggests, they initiate payment transactions. Um, so if I give express consent for a PISP, they can tell my bank to send money to Simon, for example. But they don't execute payments and they don't hold customer funds. When, when I tell my PISP to send money to Simon, it goes from my account to Simon's account. The PISP doesn't come into possession of the funds. So again, they're relatively low risk. That said, Treasury seems to be more uncertain about them. So um, if you've got a strong view, as Paul said, the, the consultation closes on the 14th of October. So there's a couple more weeks to get your views in um, because at the moment, that's the direction of travel. Thanks, Jean. There's more information on that consultation and a related call for evidence on the AML regime in a briefing on the Linklater's Knowledge Portal. Before we wrap up, we have time for the return of What You Might Have Missed, in which one of us tells you what you need to know about a recent development in around 30 seconds. This time it's Jean, who is going to tell us all about the FCA's stance on inherence, a strong customer authentication. Thanks, Simon. Yeah. So we all know that strong customer authentication requires three things, possession, knowledge, and inheritance. Um, so 
when do we use it? It has in certain circumstances, like when we use electronic payment transactions or we access our payment accounts online. Strong customer authentication requires banks to ensure that they know that their customers prove who they are. Um, so as I said, you've got to have two out of three elements to authenticate yourself. So a couple of years ago, the European Banking Authority set guidance on what inherence is. So for example, you can identify someone by scanning their iris, their fingerprint, voice biometrics, or even by monitoring how they hold or use their mobile phone, which way you know, direction is, which way you swipe up or down, all of that good stuff. The latest news is that the FCA has now said it's not going to adopt the EBA guidance. Um, it's not quite clear at this point what that means in practice for firms who are already applying strong customer authentication. And the FCA has um, plans to give more detail on their thinking in a policy statement this year. So this is very much watch this space and possibly a bit of a sad story for firms that have spent huge amounts of money on new um, software and applications to enable them to um, deal with the inherence requirement. Thank you very much. And if you would like to get in touch with us, please do so. You can tweet at Linklaters Tech or email fintech.podcast at linklaters.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you.